Tonight, a deadly strike kills hundreds at a hospital in Gaza as both sides trade blame. The chaos and carnage where thousands were seeking shelter. Very young children whose bodies were laying on the floor. Horrific and absolutely unacceptable. And fears of another major escalation. A sixth Canadian confirmed killed by Hamas. She was a brilliant, beautiful young woman. The anguish for families of those still stranded. Every message received on my phone, I'm like, who's it next? Plus, raising the roof of a former Olympic jewel. I know some people would like to pull it down. It's one of the great monuments of Montreal. Clearing major hurdles to restore the glory. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. The crisis in the Middle East has taken another horrifying turn tonight. Hamas claiming at least 500 people were killed after a massive blast rocked a Gaza hospital. And a warning, the images are graphic. Children were among the thousands seeking treatment and shelter at the facility. Palestinian health authorities say Israel was responsible for the attack, while Israel says an errant missile from Palestinian militants struck the site. The devastation derailing U.S. diplomatic efforts on the eve of President Joe Biden's visit to Israel and threatening to escalate tensions in the region. Here at home today, there were pro-Palestinian demonstrations in Ottawa, Montreal and Toronto, where there were also pro-Israeli demonstrations. Significant developments and lots to get to tonight. Heather Wright starts us off from Tel Aviv. Healthcare workers lined the road to the hospital, ready to rush the ambulances, packed with patients wounded by an explosion at another hospital in Gaza, killing hundreds of people. Hamas, who rules Gaza, is calling the blast a horrific massacre that it says killed many families who were seeking shelter from Israeli airstrikes. Hamas is blaming Israel, but Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu strongly denies any involvement, saying it was barbaric terrorists in Gaza that attacked the hospital in Gaza and not the IDF. The Israeli Defense Forces claim a barrage of rockets fired from Gaza flew near the hospital and one of them hit. Islamic Jihad, another terrorist organization in Gaza, is responsible for a failed rocket launch that struck the hospital in Gaza. The World Health Organization is calling this unprecedented in scale and is urging both sides to stop targeting health facilities and its workers. It should never be a target of anyone in conflict. That is enshrined in international humanitarian law. And we're seeing this breached again and again and again. The hospital attack sparking demonstrations in the streets of the occupied West Bank. While in Jordan, protesters gathered outside the Israeli embassy with some attempting to storm the gates. News coming out of, uh, of Gaza is uh, horrific and absolutely unacceptable. The hospital's attack comes as concerns about the unfolding humanitarian crisis in Gaza grow. The World Food Programme says it has truckloads of food and aid waiting in Egypt that can't get into Gaza. Right now, they have less than two weeks worth of food. 
We need access into Gaza and we need to be able to reach the people inside, wherever they are. We've got pregnant women. Dominic Allen is the UN Population Fund's representative to the Palestinian territories and worries more people, including 50,000 pregnant women, will continue to suffer if aid is not allowed in soon. What we need is for the blockade to be lifted, the siege to stop, and for medical supplies to get in. In the wake of the hospital blast, Jordan has cancelled a summit that was set for Wednesday. It was supposed to include the United States, Jordan, Egypt, and the Palestinian Authority. Omar. All right, Heather Wright in Tel Aviv tonight. And we have another developing story from the region tonight. A family is speaking out to say a Canadian is among the hostages and they are seeking help from the federal government. Global Affairs is not confirming. CTV's Judy Trin has been tracking the story from Ottawa and spoke to the family. Judy, what can you tell us about this tonight? Omar, Judy Weinstein Haggai has Canadian and American citizenship and is married to an Israeli. I spoke to Haggai's daughter, Iris. She says officials with the Israeli army contacted her yesterday to say her parents had been kidnapped. Haggai's parents, Judy and Gad, lived at the near Oz kibbutz just outside the Gaza border that was attacked last Saturday. Haggai says President Biden called her to say the American government was prioritizing her mother's safety. But Haggai also wants the Canadian government to pressure the Israelis to negotiate. You know, at the end of the day, it is Israeli soil, but pressure is always something that can be done, especially when there are Canadian citizens involved. Uh, especially when my mom is 70 years old, you know, like why would they kidnap 70 year old? The Israeli government says Hamas has taken 199 hostages. 80 of them were kidnapped from near Oz kibbutz. The last news Haggai heard about her parents was from a paramedic who received an emergency call. Her parents had both been shot and an ambulance was dispatched, only to be destroyed by a rocket attack. The couple's cell phones were later tracked to Gaza. Judy Haggai is a retired teacher with family in the Toronto area. Global Affairs says two Canadians are missing and that it has sent a team of hostage negotiators to Israel. Omar. All right, Judy, thank you. As Ottawa works to secure safe passage for Canadians in Gaza to exit, tonight another Canadian family is mourning the loss of a loved one caught in the crosshairs of the chaos. Here's CTV's Jill Nakashan. Canada's casualties in Israel, six victims now confirmed. Tiferet Lapido would have celebrated her 23rd birthday last week. The young woman was last seen at the music festival that became the site of a Hamas massacre. Canada's foreign affairs minister, who met with Lapido's family in Tel Aviv, confirmed her death today. They told me how much she was a brilliant, beautiful young woman. There are so many Canadian connections in the war zone and so much worry for families here. For the last week or so, I hardly slept. Rudy Mizrahi's elderly aunt and uncle, Yoker and Oded Livshitz, lived in a kibbutz near the Gaza border. Their home was burned and they are missing. We don't know what their situation, we don't know if they're even alive. I think it's the worst is to live with the unknown. In Ottawa, another family knows what happened to a brother and son and they can't cope. I did not see him. I did not say goodbye. Ahmed Al-Safin, an environmental engineer, had a visa to come to Canada. He died in an Israeli missile attack trying to escape to southern Gaza with his young family. All I heard that Ahmed is gone. I'm on the edge every single second. 
every message received on my phone, I'm like, who's it next? Gaza is inaccessible, with hundreds of Canadians still trapped. Officials are hopeful ongoing negotiations will open the Rafah border and allow foreign nationals through to Egypt, but again today, no movement. Nobody has left Gaza. Not a single person has left Gaza. And that is, um, you know, something that is very preoccupying uh, for all of us. Not a single Canadian out of Gaza, but more are leaving the West Bank through Jordan and from Israel. Two more flights are scheduled tomorrow. Omar. All right, Jill, thank you. There was a funeral today for one of those Canadians inside Israel. CTV's Adrian Gobriel with the painful farewell and a community providing hope for a peaceful future. A suffocating, unbearable anguish as Canadian Netta Epstein is laid to rest. The 21-year-old's final selfless act, saving the life of his fiancée by jumping on top of a grenade thrown at them by a Hamas militant. His mother recounting the moment she received the message her son was no longer, saying, I asked, is he breathing? And she wrote, no. Another shovel into the soil, another life stolen, another family shattered. This is a war that is feeding off of innocent lives on both sides. Though there is an Arab-Israeli enclave that at its best can set an example for the war-torn region. This is Jaffa, a predominantly Palestinian suburb of Tel Aviv, where both Arabs and Israelis live together. In Hebrew, the neighborhood's name translates to beautiful, even though it too has been a contested community for decades. Though they found a way not only to coexist here, but to thrive. You're Palestinian. Yes. Does Hamas speak for you? No, no, Hamas does not speak for me. Rula Daoud is a Jaffa resident. We live together and we want to live in peace. As is Canadian Daniela Haliva and her fiancé, Alec Birkin. The two had to cancel their October 12th wedding to help get family out of Israel following the Hamas massacre. I remember thinking that I'm dreaming, that this cannot be real. Haliva teaches gymnastics at Jaffa's Arab Jewish Community Center to children from both communities. We can learn a lot from, from children, from the, from the kids. Daoud, a national director for an Arab Jewish grassroots organization, has been fighting for peace and security for all. She's witnessed firsthand the failure of previous Gaza wars. The act of war is not working. Now, we still have Hamas, whether we like it or not. And these are the one and only party you can talk to in Gaza right now. In Jaffa, talking even during difficult times to those with different beliefs has led to stability and respect. What have the conversations been like with your Muslim neighbors over the last several days? They've invited us into their homes, and Jaffa has a lot to be proud about um, in terms of setting an example for how Jews and Israeli Arabs can live you know, together in peace. If we can replicate what's happening in Jaffa in the good days, it, it will be a, a great society for all of us. A beacon of solidarity during a time of intense division across the region. Omar. Adrian Gobriel in Jaffa. The prospect of repairing those divisions is becoming more elusive tonight as the civilian suffering intensifies. In Gaza, where more than two million people are living in an area the size of Gatineau Park in Canada's national capital region, 
The United Nations said today Israel's evacuation order could be a violation of international law. And joining me now is United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk. Mr. Turk, thank you so much for being here. I want to start by getting your reaction to the strike on a hospital Gaza's health ministry says killed hundreds today. Despite the United Nations' repeated warnings to avert what it calls a humanitarian catastrophe, the situation for civilians is becoming increasingly more dire. If the UN's appeals are being ignored, what exactly is the path forward to protect lives? First of all, to respect international humanitarian law in any armed conflict. I mean, it's clear that Israel has legitimate security concerns after what happened uh, 10 days ago, but it is equally clear that once you engage in military conduct, war have rules, and that is international humanitarian law. And that means the principle of distinction, meaning you have to make a distinction between civilian and military objects, principle of proportionality, and the principle of precaution. And that's paramount in this type of situations. And it's not just for Israel, it's also for, for all the Palestinian armed groups that are engaged in this conflict. Now, your office said today that Israel's evacuation order to a million Gazans from the north to move to the south could be in breach of international law because it could amount to a forcible transfer of civilians. What caused you to make that declaration today? And how do you determine if there is actually a breach under international law? Well, this is always very complicated because one needs to look at the different circumstances. But what we, what, we have, what we did today is issue a warning that if, if the principles are not respected, that it could lead to this evaluation that it is a forced, a forced, a forced transfer. And for us it's important when we see certain signals appear to be clear about what the international humanitarian law has to say. We know that electricity, food and water are scarce. Backup generators at hospitals are running low on fuel. Aid can't get in. What do you fear as the worst case scenario? I mean, that people will die, that especially the ones that are most vulnerable. There are 50,000 pregnant women in the Gaza Strip. I don't even want to imagine how they feel. It's it's terrible. So, of course, these type of situations have a catastrophic impact on civilians, on people who are in the most vulnerable situation. And it is imperative that humanitarian assistance gets into Gaza so that people can be protected and assisted. Israel says it will consider a mechanism for allowing aid to enter if there are guarantees Hamas militants won't seize any deliveries and if Hamas releases the hostages. What do you think of those conditions? I mean, it's clear that when it comes to people, they cannot be bargaining chips on both sides. International humanitarian law is clear. You need to provide, you need to make sure that food, fuel, uh, water, medical supplies are provided to a, to, a, to a civilian population, to a much beleaguered civilian population that is in distress. That's the obligation. All right, Mr. Turk, I really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Belgium downgraded the terror threat level to its second highest level after police confirmed they shot the attacker who killed two Swedes at a soccer game. Today, a moment of silence at today's qualifying Euro matches for the victims in their 60s and 70s. The suspect, a 45-year-old Tunisian man, identified himself as a member of the Islamic State. Coming up... 
everything goes up all the time and my fixed income don't go up. The uphill battle to cool down cost of living, plus the marathon effort to fix up Montreal's Olympic Stadium. A new economic snapshot reveals Canadians are getting a slight break from the high cost of living. The inflation rate fell to 3.8 percent in September, down from 4 percent in August. CTV's Crease and Adjikate reports. Shoppers are still traveling further to find better deals, like at this grocery store in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Everything goes up all the time and my fixed income don't go up. It stays the same. So how do you suppose to live on, on money when you've got, got none? With the interest rates and everything, the inflation, uh, everybody's hurting. The lack of housing, the gasoline, everything's up. Stats Canada is reporting prices at the checkout have shot up yet again. But the pace of growth fell to 5.8% compared to 6.9% in August. Last month, the Liberals promised lower prices by Thanksgiving after summoning the heads of big grocery chains to Ottawa. But Canadians did not see a break at the till in time. Today, Canada's industry minister called for more transparency about plans to stabilize prices. We need to see words into actions from the grocers. If we don't see that, and let me repeat, if we don't see that, we are ready to take more action. The federal government says it will pressure banks to reduce various bank fees. The Financial Consumer Agency will now work to ensure that a greater number of banks offer enhanced and modernized no and low-cost accounts. Meanwhile, dairy farmers are pushing for milk prices to be delayed to help ease inflated food costs. As a student, man, it's hard to even work and study. Welcome news for university students in Halifax who are working for minimum wage. That paycheck's gone <laughs> within like two weeks. Like the time I get the next paycheck, uh, that the original paycheck's missing. The deputy prime minister is also putting the onus on banks to offer more flexibility to address high interest mortgages as more Canadians continue to struggle to make ends meet. Chris Najgate, CTV News, Halifax. Still ahead. Schooling costs out of reach for out-of-province students. English universities in Quebec are giving a failing grade to the province's plan to hike tuition for out-of-province students. CTV's Vanessa Lee on the backlash. The cost of a degree at one of Canada's most prestigious universities is about to skyrocket for some students. One of the decisions when coming to Medill was that the tuition was slightly cheaper than Ontario. And now that that's not the case, I don't think I would have come here. Tuition for Canadians outside Quebec will jump from almost 9000 to 17000 next fall, part of a plan to stop the decline of French in the province. The Premier says when he looks at the number of Anglophone students in Quebec, it threatens the survival of French. In a letter to staff and students, McGill's principal says the measures will have serious consequences, including the recruitment of prospective Canadian students from outside Quebec. Bishop's University in Sherbrooke, east of Montreal, believes the plan will be catastrophic. Just under 30% of its students come from all over Canada. Our view is that our students will not be able to afford a doubling of tuition and that we will be unable to compete with other Canadian universities. 
Business leaders worry about the impact on the economy and workforce and say it sends the wrong message. Montreal's reputation, we are a university cities. We are a, uh, a cities that welcome talents from all over and we want to keep that reputation. Some of all the extra money will be used to fund Quebec's French language universities. The province says taxpayers shouldn't subsidize English speakers who leave after graduating, a choice many may no longer be here to make. Vanessa Lee, CTV News, Montreal. Coming up after the break, the big debate over sprucing up the big O. Ever since the 1976 Summer Olympics, Montreal's Big O Stadium has been admired for its unique look. Over the years, it's also been the butt of jokes over massive cost overruns and roof issues. Now there's a new push to restore pride in the iconic structure. Here's CTV Quebec Bureau Chief Geneviève Beauchemin. Montreal's Olympic Stadium towers over the landscape. It's an attraction for tourists the world over. It's pretty amazing looking. I've never been here before. But its troubled past has eroded Quebecers' pride, something the Premier now intends to fix. I want the Olympic Stadium become again a positive symbol. Indeed, the storied structure has prompted some less than favorable reviews over the years. Tell me what you think about the Olympic Stadium. It's a big toilet. Hundreds of millions of dollars down the drain, say critics, giving it the nickname the Big O, as in O-W-E. There were massive cost overruns when it was billed for the 1976 Olympics. A cigarette surtax was imposed for 30 years to pay off the Olympic debt. We are so used, disturbing the house. And that despite then-Mayor Jean Drapeau's famous assertion that the Games could no more run a deficit than a man could have a baby. The issue of a suitable roof has stumped architects and politicians alike for years. Kevlar models proved anything but bulletproof. And in 2017, $250 million were put on the table for a new model that never materialized. Just this year, inspectors determined the Big O needs a new and costly technical ring to hold the roof. I know some people would like to pull it down, but uh, gradually over the last generations, there's been a wave of fascination and interest for the stadium. Besides, it would cost more than half a billion dollars just to tear it down. And so the province now says it has plans and will put up the necessary cash for a new roof to restore this jewel of architecture to its intended glory. Geneviève Beauchemin, CTV News, Montreal. And that's a snapshot of this Tuesday for all of us at CTV National News. Thank you for watching. Good night and see you tomorrow.